We grab our drinks, me a glass of wine, him a Guinness. We take our supper and libations to the porch. The first time just the two of us sit on our porch together in an endless amount of times that we will. The neighbors stroll past, wave a hello, say some niceties, and then move along. As he waves at each person passing by, I think, gosh, he just knows everyone. Truth be told, he actually doesn't know very many of the neighbors either. He's just doing the polite Southern thing and acknowledging that other people exist. Not that I was rude, it's just that in New York, you don't casually wave at other people in the street. A few nights later, we would invite all the tenants to our large Queen Anne house converted to four apartments to that very same porch, you know, to get to know each other. Each of us bringing a dish and libations, staying up to the wee hours of the morning, uncovering each other's journeys and their path to what would be affectionately called the Wagon Wheel House. I would take to spending my days working on the porch, taking on the task of waving to passerbyers, and finally realizing that my postman was not suspect. He was merely being polite by saying hello and stopping to chat about the weather for a minute. Porches are mostly impervious to weather, not without imperfections. A porch will allow you to feel the weather without being weathered. It's a perfect place to avoid the sun in the summer, the wind in the fall, the rain, and sometimes the snow in the winter. But probably won't help with the pollen in the spring. That stuff really has no manners. That porch weathered storms and protected us from everything beyond. Hosting my father's funeral, providing safe haven when we found out our friend had been killed, we would wait patiently for my nephew to get off the bus. Hours of endless chatter about love, life, and the pursuit of everything. The porch has seen life and death and love and laughter and laughter and laughter. You would think that porch was somehow magical, and, and it is, but it was only as magical as the next porch because all porches have magic. A quick walk with the dog might get derailed with an invitation to a porch and suddenly a fancy concoction or a promise of a fun story elicits you to stay. A little lesson I learned early on was that a porch nearly makes everyone forget time. Time almost never exists on a porch. The conversations that swirl around the inside of a porch somehow swallow anything a clock has to say. There are famous porches. In fact, once a friend told me he was chatting with someone at a watering hole, and that person invited to join him later to a porch. His porch. Some are named after their owners, some are named for the group of people living there, and some are so small but powerful that you can tell your secrets and no one will hear. Every porch holds power. It's where we hold court, hold meetings, hold each other. A porch can hold all things from joy to sorrow and all the seats to accommodate the souls we host. Porches are made to find our people. On porches is where I found my tribe. There's plenty of relationships that have come from a good porch sitting. Tonight, we bring you one story from one person. I originally heard her story from a porch about the power of sisterhood, stemming from college and onto 25 years of love and friendship. I found that while I value most things I can find on a porch, I value most the women, the sisters from another mister, if you will. Get us on a porch and we will blow your mind with all of our knowledge of all things from facts to fiction, 
our capacity for truth and support, our willingness to bear our souls, and of course, a porch will fuel our humor. Welcome to the Heartbeat of Georgia. I'm Corin Young. And I'm Julia Rubens. Today, we have a mini-sode from our September 26th event, Embracing the Theme of Making Magic. The story we have for you is Mariana Ferland's journey to embracing sisterhood, told while weaving in the voices of other women along the way. Get your girls together or learn more about the ones in your life. Part one, what does sisterhood mean to you? Pretty literally. What's one thing you've learned after this story, talking to all these women about being a woman in Macon? What I really learned was that women in the South are independent and they want to have a voice and they want to make their world a better place. And, and there is something about just women in general. You can't find a bigger, better force of humans that just want everybody to do well and be proud of who they are. And women are the backbone of a lot of things, including family, including jobs, including community service. And that is something I've learned about being a woman in Macon. Yeah, I really hear you what you're saying about being a woman in the South. And I've always lived technically, I guess, in the South and Virginia. But coming down to Georgia and sort of to this area where there's this real feel of the deep South, you know, that difference right. would people say. Uh, and I really felt this when I found myself falling in love with the script Steel Magnolias by Robert Harling when I went to do it at Macon Little Theater. And it's really struck me because, of course, the famous movie and play, you know, takes place in this beauty parlor where all these women are coming together and they all know each other and they're all gossiping. And in the middle of rehearsing the play, I was in the middle of getting my hair done and my hairdresser at the time, my stylist, she's talking to me left and right, asking me who I'm dating, asking me all this gossip, how I like making, how I like my job. And I'm trying to cagely answer because at that moment, the person that I just started dating at the time, one of their best friends had walked in and was sitting right there. And it was this real true moment where I was like, oh my God, Steel Magnolias is real. These moments about all coming together, having this safe space and using this feminine space of strength to really deconstruct life really exists. And that's something that I think is unusual is that true feminine strength. Women really do hold a strong part of who we are. And womanliness too, mm -hmm. I think. And I think there's all that internalized misogyny about saying like, oh, the right thing to do would be to pull yourself up by the pants and, you know, go out and do it like a man would. And it's like, no, maybe the best thing is getting your nails done and going to get your hair done and being ready and embracing that femininity, which is really the root of all life, actually. <laughs> Part two, Wesleyan College sets the stage. So now we're going to take it to our storyteller for the evening. How would you describe Mariana? You will never find a better friend. She will 
uh, over ask you if you would like a drink at the porch. She will over ask if you need food. She will over ask if you need a thing done. Uh, but th at the end of the day, that's just part of her spirit. She just wants you to be a happy human in her world. She describes herself as being too much. And I describe her as being just enough, right? Like that is a human that you want in your life. You want her to be your cheerleader and your friend. Honestly, she brings joy to the world and she wants to bring humor and life to any situation. I do have one Mariana moment on voting day. I show up, it's my first time voting in person in my precinct, it's, it's election day, and there's a huge line, and I'm there at 7 a.m., right when it opens. We all thought it would be this really stressful day, and everyone's on pins and needles. Out comes this booming voice, okay, guys, we're going to get ready to open the polls, and it's Mariana Furlan. And at that moment, of course, of course, I just immediately relaxed because I knew that there was a good person behind this and that someone who I really felt as a neighbor and as a human being was my poll worker just made the whole election day so much better. She also can make everybody around her feel like this is a home right now and you're going to be okay. So with that, let's lead you to Mariana's story. Olga Burmis, a Greek poet, said about sisterhood, which is the women's capacity to love other women. It's like motherhood, a capacity, not a destiny. Chosen act of will. That is what makes Macon magical to me, sisterhood. I was born in New York to Brazilian parents, and if you know any Brazilians, you understand that God, soccer, and family are equally interchangeable. I learned about Macon, Georgia my junior year in high school at a college fair where I learned about Mercer University and Wesleyan College, the oldest and best. And it was there that I decided that I was going to go to a prospective weekend at Wesleyan College, and that was it. I remember getting off the plane and looking my mom squarely in the eye and said, that's it, I found it. Wesleyan is where I'm going. And all of my friends went crazy. Mariana, going to a girls' school? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Wesleyan, and it's a women's college, thank you, not a girls' school. I remember the year that I found my voice. And mind you, I'd been in like, high school choir, all-state choir, glee club, Wesleyans. Most recently, last November, I actually got to sing in Carnegie Hall pre all of this, right? Totally bizarre. But that's not the voice I'm talking about. It was the summer before my senior year, and due to some poor academic planning on my part, I could not register for any of my senior seminar. I didn't have Psych 101. So that summer I registered at Palm Beach Community College for Psych 101. I was confident with the material. I knew I was gonna get an A. So picture that, rising senior Wesleyan College in the class, teacher asks a question, I raise my hand, she calls on me, I begin to answer that question. And down the road, down the road, this gentleman interrupts me. And the teacher just kinda turns to him and lets him go. I raise my hand. Excuse me, you interrupted me. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back to you in a second. My female teacher, I, I said, no, I don't think so. You called on me, I'm going to answer the question. I answered the question, 
said to the guy, go ahead, you can finish, which he couldn't because I'd already answered the question. No one ever interrupted me in that class again. It was glorious. <laughs> I'll take it. The friends that I made at Wesleyan, I have kept throughout the years. And the beauty of social media allows us to keep track of each other's joys, triumphs, failures. We mark the moments that matter, births, marriages, deaths, divorces. And whenever we get the chance, we foster that sisterhood as much as possible. I try to go back to my reunions as, as much as I could when I lived in South Florida. I remember my 20th reunion. We went to some Mexican place. I don't remember where it was because I wasn't living here then, but I remember there was music inside, so we chose outside because we're going to be talking and catching up. You know, you can picture it. Six women, permagrinning, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and how our families had grown and gotten smaller over the course of the years. I'd lost my mother in those five years. Other sisters had lost their family members too. So it was an emotional exchange between, let's be honest, family. So you can imagine how upset I was when there was a table of three who just seemed really upset and perturbed by what was going on at our table. With every story, laugh, guffaw, these miser miserable people rolled their eyes and harumphed. Now, if you've never had a long distance time and you've never had that reunion, you don't understand that time pauses until conversation and emotion catch up to that moment. These people thought it would be fun to just send the waitress to us because we needed drinks. And I'm the only one who's seeing this. And now my sisters are getting mad because this 19-year-old something is interrupting us and our flow through no fault of her own. She's just trying to help us because apparently we're talking so much that we need more drinks. And I'm about to say something until I see the perfect plan. Their food starts to arrive. There's a lull in our conversation and I ask my sisters, so I'm the only one at the table who's never had any kids. Tell me, best and worst part of childbirth. Yep, I couldn't have planned it better. My sisters went very detailed, quickly, very verbose in their descriptions of cramping and muscle cramps and the water breaking and afterbirth. And it was when Candy said that she felt like she was being disemboweled and eviscerated that the woman pushed her covered red salsa chunky food way far away. And the guy next to her, yeah, I'll take it. The guy next to her says, are you kidding? Sorry, not sorry, not sorry. And their check had arrived and they paid for it long before ours did. But when ours did, the conversation ultimately went to why this woman was interrupting us and how they were gonna reflect her tip. I said, ladies, I need to chime in. This is what was going on tonight while we were being interrupted. And that point where I asked about your worst and best stories for childbirth was when their food arrived. Huge pregnant pause, mouths agape, 
eyes wide open. They begin to look at each other, realizing that the food coincided with the bloodbath. And we laughed for like 15 minutes. And, oh, Mariana, you are too evil for your own good. Remind me never to cross you. Sisters are safe. Those who mess with me and mine get what's due. My Wesleyan sisters were thrilled when I came back to Macon because with, uh, with my ex-fiance. Imagine their joy when I worked at our alma mater with my big sister, Virginia Wilcox, no less. They were elated. My Wesleyan sisters, all the schoolmates, in some capacity would love to work with Wesleyan. That's just the kind of loyalty Wesleyan evokes in some of my sisters. Now, much like a family, it has its problems. There are needs for improvement and change. But I could go on ad nauseum about my sisters and what we would do for each other. Part three, what does sisterhood mean to you now? Sisterhood, deep loving relationships with other women are a form of intimacy that causes our energy to shift in a way that lessens the burdens of everyday life built on positivity, honesty, trust, and love. We can always find solace in our sisters, and we know. Sisterhood is a deep heart-centered connection with an intentionally developed family who walk with you in celebration and in grief. It's the best of who we are and allows us to see that, not only in others, but in ourselves, too. In sisterhood, we're not alone. We are affirmed, held up, nurtured, caught, not judged. Sisters are the keepers of our stories. Sisterhood's living those stories together. It's the love and support we need to survive in this you think that you're something too. Being a woman is hard, but when you have women in your life that are there for you no matter what, your sisterhood, so to speak, it gives you this confidence and determination to get through most anything in life. So I'm lucky to say that I have that kind of love and support, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Trust me. When I think of sisterhood, I think of a deep connection that goes beyond friendship. It means always being there for one another, to celebrate the good times, to encourage one another in difficult times, and to cry together during mournful times. Sisterhood empowers women to succeed and overcome any obstacle they face. This is what makes sisterhood so powerful. When I think of being there for another woman, what do I find most important about that act of kindness? Being truly present in the moment. I'm there no matter what, no matter how difficult the moment is, because if it's hard for me, it's a billion times harder for her. My one and only job is to bring serenity to the moment for her. There's nothing more kind than that. Part four. Sisters in spirit are sisters forever. It was about three years ago that my 25th reunion was happening, and I was thrilled. My ex and I were going to host the party. It was amazing. It was the first reunion since I'd moved back to Macon. I was in my skin, right? Well, due to some conflict of priorities, my ex canceled 
our class party three days before the reunion. And on the day that the reunion started, told me that because my priorities were mixed up, I had to move out because I didn't cancel going to my 25th class reunion. Apparently he hadn't gotten the memo that sisters in spirit stay sisters forever. So I went to my 25th class reunion and I stayed on my sister's sofa in their hotel and I cried a lot. I drank a lot of red wine. I smoked a lot of cigarettes. In every single one of those reunion pictures, I had swollen eyes. Thanks for that gem of a memory, dude. <laughs> but they, they were there. I couldn't have planned it any better. These women reminded me that I was fierce, that I was not defined by a man. They let me feel the fear of my life falling apart. They let me feel that. And then came the time for the proverbial slap in the face. You are so much more than what he thinks of you. You are so much more than how he perceives you. You are more. And they built me up. And they got me ready for what was to come, for that move. And move I did. And that move part was a bitch. Last week of June. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows what that feels like in Macon, Georgia. Fast forward to moving week. How, how, how am I supposed to unravel five years? How? I was shell-shocked. I, I, I hadn't packed. It's the week out, the week I'm moving. I hadn't packed, I hadn't lifted a thing. I hadn't separated one life for the other. Because truth be told, this is the first time I'd cohabitated with, an, with someone and I was all in, our stuff was intermingled. I didn't know how to undo that. But I digress. I, I created a Facebook page, I asked my friends for help and my friends showed up. I had one friend, Holly Dugas, show up with a moving truck. In three and a half hours, 15 people's moved me out of one place into another. My new neighbor, Ariel, had a big cooler of waters. And after everything was done, we all sat cramped on my tiny little porch at the time, and we shared pizza and water and beer. But that wasn't the magical part. It was amazing, it was a beautiful moment. And if my friends are any reflection of who I am, I'm absolutely blessed. The magical part was the Wednesday before the move. I hadn't packed box one. My dear sister friend, Corin comes over and says, so, I love you and this thing has to happen. After my meeting tonight, I will be descending on you and we will be packing up your life and that's all there is. She kissed me on the head and off she goes. And an hour later, she showed back up. We have a glass of wine to preempt the task at hand. And within four minutes of her arrival, unbeknownst to each other and in apparent military fashion, my neighbors and friends showed up. Heather, Cheryl, Marnie, Allison and her two preteen daughters showed up. Corin still to this day says that she didn't plan it. And so we're standing there on the porch awkwardly and Corin and I tell her what's about to happen. And they quickly caught on that there was a need that had to be met. And in 15 minutes, six women, two preteen girls got to work. It was organized. 
My job was to take the thing out of the cabinet, put it onto the island. Someone else took it from the island and put it in a box. Two other people were packing my upstairs in my bathroom. There was no time other than to isolate and identify. There was no time to dwell in the sorrow of that moment. It was amazing. There was one goal, and that goal was get Mari packed. And they met that goal. Two and a half hours, these women packed my life up. And it was in the front foyer. So when the girls were watching TV and we're sitting on the porch marveling at the magic that brought them all there that night, no one understood what was going on. In retrospect, they really thought that they were just coming by to check me out and see how I was doing. Not that act of power. In one single act of solidarity, my proverbial well was filled for the journey to come. You want to know what sisterhood means to me. Honestly, I don't know how to explain basic human decency, but I'll try. If someone needs help and you can help them, you do it. Especially if it won't be to anyone else's detriment. My friend needed help and being in a position and with the means to do it, I helped. Not super strong, so carrying heavy things wasn't something I was going to be helpful with, but I can throw money at a problem, so I got us a U-Haul. Seemed like a no-brainer at the time, and honestly, not a big deal. At the end of the day, if the roles were reversed, I know Mariana would have done the same for any of us. It's just what sisters do. But how do you thank someone for being there at your most vulnerable, wrapping up your knickknacks and bubble wrap for your single life. How do you do that? Who does that? Family. Family does that for each other. And there was that word, like a gentle hug, sister. Wesleyan taught me the beauty of sisterhood. But Macon taught me the magic of sisterhood beyond Wesleyan. It was only years after that moment that I could understand the depth and breadth. That was a chosen act of will that instantly illuminated what Macon magic meant to me, sisterhood. the heartbeat of Georgia. If you have a moment of sisterhood, whatever it means to you, share with us an email or send us a voice memo to storytellersmaking at gmail.com. Join us next time for our episode, Hope is the Thing, and remember to speak your truth. Miss Seeley Sings the Blues, Sister, written by Quincy Jones for The Color Purple, performed by Mariana Ferlin. Thank you to all the sisters who contributed, Jane Arthur, Jessica Carter, Marnie Flanders, Holly Cole, Holly Dugas, Ellison Bender, and Shona Van Pelt. The Heartbeat of Georgia is brought to you by Storytellers Making in collaboration with the Grand Opera House for a limited series. All the music for the live event and this podcast is written and performed by Justin Cutway. Storytellers Making believes that it is important for people to be able to share a part of themselves, and we believe that anyone can tell a story. Speak your truth. 
Storytellers Macon administers Pulse, the heartbeat of Macon, a nonprofit organization supporting grassroots projects. The Grand is a historic theater that serves as a vibrant community assembly resource for the citizens of Macon Bibb County and as the Performing Arts Center of Mercer University. The Grand seeks to champion excellence as the premier theatrical venue in central Georgia. We want to thank Grant's Lounge, our home prior to COVID-19, and Startup Studios, our current outdoor stage, and where we are recording this podcast. The Heartbeat of Georgia is co-directed and produced by Corn Young and Julia Rubens, and engineered and edited by Aaron Lee with assistance from Brian Beck. Additional storytellers making board of directors are George Cobble, Kevin Bradley, Anissa Muhammad, Lauren Beatty, and Tina Hunt along with Angel Colquitt and Claire Riveri as our interns. Patrick Pritchard and Wendy Hamm advise this project. The production staff at the Grand Opera House includes Joe Patty, Julia Rubens, Nikki Vincent, and Bob Mavity. This program is supported in part by Georgia Council for the Arts through appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly and with funding from the National Endowment for the Arts. Further support comes from Macon Arts Alliance and the Community Foundation of Central Georgia. Tickets for our live event are at thegrantmakin.com. If you want to get more involved, you can find out more about Storytellers Making at storytellersmaking.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Storytellers Making. As always, speak your truth. Hey, girl. Thinking of you. Um, sisterhood, what does it mean to me? It means Mariana. You've always been, even when you're a rat in my ass, bitch. Midnight, it's raining outside, yeah. It must be soaking wet. Everyone is sleeping tight.